More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I reminisce about the old glory days of fashion television with one of my favorite cameramen, Patrick Pigeon, and one of my dear field producers, Christopher Sherman. The legions of fans who grew up with fashion television seem to miss it madly. The trailblazing show that I had the privilege of hosting ran for 27 years in 130 different countries. We got to turn so many people on to fashion and its larger-than-life players. And each week, as my crew and I traveled the world covering every aspect of the global scene, from its spectacular runway shows to the backstage craziness, to intimate encounters and candid run-ins with some of the most iconic and celebrated talents on the planet, we felt like we were in the eye of the storm. It was an incredible era that sadly is no more. There was also so much that went on behind the scenes that we longed to share, but just couldn't fit that much into a half-hour weekly show. So we thought it would be fun to take a walk down memory lane with two of my favorite fashion television colleagues, the mild-mannered, super-talented and always-entertaining Pat Pigeon, one of my very first camera guys with whom I danced through fashion's trenches for over two and a half decades, and the killer-cool Christopher Sherman, a brilliant young field producer who became one of my most cherished pals and closest confidants. Patrick Pigeon and Christopher Sherman. I am so excited to have you on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. It's like, you know, my life is flashing before me. You are two of my most beloved, I don't even know what to call you. It certainly wouldn't make sense to call you, you know, former work colleagues, but you guys became part of my family without question. I'd love you both like brothers. Christopher, you're younger. I love you like a son. <laughs> but I have to say that we spent so many glorious moments in the trenches of fashion television together over the years. Patrick was uh, probably the first cameraman. Patrick and Hernan Morris, another wonderful gentleman, uh, were the first two guys shooting for fashion television when we launched in 85. And Christopher, you came in uh, quite a bit later in the journey, probably like 20 years later. I can't believe we did that show for 27 years in 2005, because you were just a baby growing up in the 90s. I mean, so incredible because you both helped me see the world and the world that I was visiting really because I never really felt part of that fashion world but you really helped me see it in magical new ways and Patrick you really captured it so magnificently I always refer to Pat as uh, one of my best dance partners so first of all we'll start by saying you know tell me what you're up to now gosh I'm uh, just in pause at the moment uh, waiting to decide on the next big adventure but uh, the last 40 years are going to be tough to top 40 years you slept that equipment around Think about it, Jeannie. You and I had been doing it for 20 years before Christopher came on board. I know. Incredible. And Patrick, I want to tell you, in those early days of the show, we were still shooting with a, one of those three-quarter inch yep. cam tape cameras with the, a, a porta pack. You know, yeah. and the way that we used to shoot the show, it was like a one-man band. I mean, it was me and 
Patrick. There wasn't a producer, a field producer. We didn't have the budget for that in the early days. There wasn't an audio guy, a lighting guy. A no spotters. Assistant. Incredible. Standing in line for three hours to get into a show. So we get uh, three hours waiting for a spot. <laughs> we used to send people hours before. I remember that. Incredible. This was before we had spotters, Christopher. And we were usually at a show previous and we'd have to go from one show to another. And particularly in New York, Jeannie, if you recall, taxis wouldn't pick us up because we had so much gear. Oh, I remember totally. And then and it would be raining. So. God bless you for carrying my FOBA tripod, which was made out of metal and I had to weigh 20 pounds. And you would carry that for literally blocks in stiletto. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the stilettos. Yeah, very, uh, very touchy subject with me because a lot of women are saying since, you know, COVID, they've abandoned their high heels. I shall never abandon my stilettos, <laughs> but I'm not schlepping your tripod anymore. Christopher, tell me now what you are up to. Fashion television obviously was the beginning of it all. And to me, it was the inspiration from, from being a child to watching it on TV, on City TV, and then having the dream come true. Obviously, uh, that's a different story. But currently right now, I still love art. I'm still in, in fashion and I explore photography and video work. And actually the cameramen of fashion television are some of the greatest inspiration when it comes to imagery and art because the way that they brought shows to life is now what we see with TikTok, Instagram, and all these things, they were the beginning. Mm, absolutely. So Pat Patrick, tell me about the early days, if you even recall, how you first started shooting the show, or maybe some of the, the first adventures out in the mm. field that really have stuck in your mind. It seems like a uh, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I don't know if you recall, our very first trip outside of Canada together was to Los Angeles. And we did a story on a knitwear designer called Leon Max. Oh yeah. And we did a fashion shoot out on the street and Rachel Hunter, who was married to Rod Stewart at the time, was our model. Wow, wow. Uh, we probably shot Rachel Hunter out on the street we did. because we used to do a lot of that back in the day, you know, yep. kind of street fashion. I mean, street fashion turned into something quite different uh, years later. But it, in those days, the designers would love the idea of going out on the street. I mean, Bill Blass, the legendary Bill Blass, took his models out on the street and we, you know, primped them out there. And I remember shooting Azadine Alaya uh, in Paris out on the street with the models. There was something so exciting. But as Patrick, as you said, we didn't have people, supplemental people in the crew that could help. It was just you and I. I know. So if people were like walking through the shot or people would get pissed off because we were, you know, blocking the sidewalk, it, it was. Uh... Uh, you brought up Bill Blast. Do you remember you, Jay Levine and I interviewing him in his office late one night? Absolutely. And he looked at you and he said, I know what you do. And he looked at me and said, I know what you do. And he looked at Jay and said, but what the hell does he do? <laughs> and Jay Levine was our dear producer who uh, actually created uh, fashion television uh, he um, made in it the happen. first place. Yeah, he definitely made it happen. And he didn't go on very many shoots, but once in a while he'd show up just to hang out and soak up the scenery. <laughs> Incredible. And we will talk about uh, another magic, another one of the hundreds, an, a magical shoot that uh, we did together uh, Pat, in another remote place, not Los Angeles, but over in Europe. I'll talk about that in a minute. But Christopher, for you, meeting you in the first place was 
absolutely so serendipitous, so magical. So, you know, the stars aligning. I first met Christopher, it must have been in the 90s, as I had my two little girls with me. I was taking my daughters, Becky and Joey, up to our cottage in Huntsville, and we're passing through Aurelia, and we stopped at uh, Tim Hortons. And this kid comes up to us and started gushing and saying, oh, you know, I read your book and I'm a big fan. And ah, I didn't realize who he was at the time, but I always remembered that encounter because I was very flattered. Fast forward to a few years later, and I meet Christopher Sherman in the fashion television office. Um, he was with some girl that worked in the publicity department, I think, or promotions. And she said, oh, I want you to meet, you know, this new guy, Christopher Sherman, who's going to be working with you. And I don't even know if I re remembered you immediately. I don't think I probably did. And you must have said, hey, remember me? I met you at Tim Hortons at Aurelia <laughs> years and years ago. I think my big priority was not to scare you at the beginning. So I waited to tell you that story a little bit until we had worked together. But I very clearly remember going to the Aurelia Public Library and on the wall, there was a new releases section and there was Jeannie Unbottled. And I had watched as this queer kid in Aurelia and there was no internet, I would watch fashion television because it was this world of creativity and joy and happiness and I loved watching you tell the stories and take us around the world and I'll never forget the day ever Tim Hortons I was working on some weekend it was like a you know a Friday Saturday Sunday I was I was fairly young and you walked through the door and for me it was like the world connected like I'd seen this world on television and then you walk through the door of Tim Hortons and I asked you can I have advice? And I and I recommend people always ask. I said, can I have advice? I have a dream of one day working for you and working in fashion television. And you said, if you work really hard enough, your dreams can come true. And you said that to me many, many years ago and has stayed with me every single day. So that is, that's actually the story of how we met. And then I worked really hard to like find a way to get into Chum. And my first job, because there was no internet, people would call this line to give their feedback and comment on all Chum properties. I took people's feedback all day long, all the reviews, all the shows, all the thoughts, and it was fabulous. And I'd write these reports of what people were seeing on television and what they liked and what they didn't like. Well, one thing that people always liked about City TV, the that produced fashion television was the, the grittiness of it and the unpretension, you know, in a sense. And the kind of, you know, naughtiness of it, because I think, you know, there was that factor played in, especially with our show, Fashion Television, which revealed a lot, too much for uh, the likes of some people. So Pat, <laughs> Pat, you, you know, we're looking at all kinds of fabulous stuff. You know, the models provided the best eye candy, of course. And this is the era of the supermodels, uh, especially early on. And um, you were encouraged to uh, really shoot their bodies. I mean, sometimes in a way that I wasn't that happy with. Because <laughs> I was, you know, hey guys, what about the clothes? You know, and it was, or what about we never shot the shoes really? We didn't care about the shoes. And I thought we should be showing more shoes. And you were like shooting, you know, the tits, but it was that way, right? So talk to um, me about that. There was, there was, a camera meeting early on where we were instructed as to how you should shoot the show. And uh, it was put rather bluntly, if I may. It was said, I want you to shoot the show like it's Friday night. You're home alone. 
your parents are out, what you want to see on TV. And that was all the motivation we needed. Well, that was pretty darn good direction, I must say. Um, but again, uh, this was a very cutting edge TV station and Moses Neimer, who, uh, you know, let us take the ball and run with it in that way and allowed Jay Levine to produce a show like Fashion Television and allowed me to front it. That was the philosophy. I mean, he, he was intent on titillating and exciting people and bringing them stuff they'd never seen on the screen before. That show would have never flown anywhere else. It was it was a perfect storm. It was the right place at the right time. Absolutely, without question. And that's why so many people that say, why don't you revive the show or bring it back? We need fashion television. You can't do that anymore. Fashion has changed too much. And television, you know, that, that medium has just changed too much. Um, just getting back a little bit to, you know, what you were shooting, that was certainly, a, you know, the, the age of the nipple on the runway. You know, nipple exposure was really big back then. I mean, it still <laughs> continues to this day, I suppose, but not, you know, the way they were doing it then, it was like, wow, you know, and, and you were shooting what you were seeing. And, and then when we sold the show to VH1 in the States uh, a few years later, they had to blur out all the nipples. They couldn't show that. So we were you know, pretty progressive for Canadians. Wow. Well, if you think about it, uh, City TV was famous for blue movies in the 70s. Yes. And this was almost a conservative approach and progression for the station. Yeah, I know. Wow. Now, my life really changed quite a lot, too, when Christopher came into the picture in the uh, you know mid-2000s, because he came out on the road with me, and he started acting as a field producer. The minute Christopher started doing that gig out in the field, wow, it feels like the floodgates opened up. All of a sudden, the fashion gatekeepers, who were like the PR people who could be really mean, because the designers were always very receptive and lovely to us, but it was those PR people who were so nasty nasty to us. Apologies to anybody who works in PR out there, but I guess they had to be maybe to keep, you know, people away. But um, I remember the first season I covered New York Fashion Week with Christopher at my side and Christopher struck such a dashing figure. You were wearing this long trench coat. You know, it was before they were even totally trendy. It was just so cool. And you were there, you know, organizing things and really taking charge. And they were so happy, all the PR people, you know, when I introduced you as, you know, my new field producer, because you were a gay man and they really loved gay men. So not that they didn't love you, Pat, <laughs> but, you know, you really had a leg up if you were gay. I mean, what, why was that? They just felt that you were part of their world, I guess, because all of a sudden they wanted to be your best friend. It's such a unique world. Like I was 23 years old, I think at the time when I first started and I had come from Aurelia, then to Toronto. And then I went to Fashion Week. Fashion Week is the gayest place I have ever been in my life. It is just a huge party. And you have to remember, we would sometimes be doing together four or five shows a day. It was such a queerness about Fashion Week. And there was all of these people, these outsiders who would come together at Fashion Week to create collections and stories. I felt like they always really related to fashion television. And Jeannie, you also always spoke to them with like with such 
empathy and heart about the creative process that I think it was a really refreshing, it was nice to see the Canadians come down to Fashion Week or go, go to Fashion Weeks everywhere. It was very different. I remember the first time uh, we met Andre Leon Talley with you. I mean, I certainly met him, you know, previously I was buddies with him sort of for years. And then I remember that moment. I don't remember whose show we were at, but it was just, I guess, before a show when everyone's, you know, scrambling to take their seats and we're running around with, you know, trying to get sound bites from people. And uh, I introduced you and Andre loved you. He just a woo, you know, he loved what, again, you were wearing that long, fabulous trench coat that you wore. You just like were so cool. That was really a great moment. Every great conversation needs a pause, so this is a perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe that great fashion should be accessible to everyone, and TSC.ca is home to some wonderful Canadian brands and designers like Kim Newport Mimran, Brian Bailey, Kayla Kay, Ron White, and Hilary McMillan. And of course, TSE offers so much more than mere fashion. Discover quality Canadian jewellery and accessories from Biko, Brass and Unity, and I. You can find more Canadian designers and brands in the CAFA store at tse.ca slash CAFA. And let's all shop better together. Forgive me because I had about four to six different camera guys on the team that were shooting all the time, you know, and I, I, I love them all for different reasons. I mean, some of them drove me crazy. Some, <laughs> some of them inspired me. Some of them, you know, I mean, we, and we really, because so often, especially on the European travels, it would be the two of us traveling together. So this, you know, these were the people that I would have dinner with every night. And these are the people that, you know, you really got to know and really got to live with. I know, Pat, we had some wonderful uh, shoots in Ireland. We in, did. Uh, yeah. We did indeed. And the, yeah, uh, in London. Uh, London Louis Patrick. Kennedy, the designer Louis Kennedy. And it just kind of gelled and everybody yeah. got along so well. And then fast forward a year later, we were in London. And the best thing about that London Fashion Week were all the Irish people we got to hang out with. Pat and I took an amazing trip together to Scotland, um, which was just legendary. And we shot enough stuff to really do a miniseries out of, or definitely like a, a two-hour special. But of course, only maybe six minutes of that I don't whole think trip I ever put ever the camera service. down, Jeannie. I'm just going to read you to set the tone um, a little bit from my book, Genie Bottle. This is the first book about that trip. In the spring of 1990, the Scottish Wool Bureau hosted an international fashion event in the south of Scotland, and my cameraman and I were invited on an all-expense-paid trip to cover it. The trip afforded me the luxury of being a house guest in an Edwardian mansion, where Pat stayed there too, of course. I would dine with the Dukes. I would shoot clay pigeons with young American designers Mark Jacobs and Michael Kors, and I would ride down deserted country roads with Britain's grand dame of fashion, Vivian Westwood. 
It was a three-day fantasy, and I kept a diary. Day one, the setting is sensational. Pat and I are driven from Glasgow to the Scottish borders, where Fashion 90 is to take place. The scenery is stunning. Green, rolling hills, paint blue skies, manicured hedges, country inns, old stone cottages, and marshmallow sheep drift by. Everything is tidy and charming. Near Duns, a town in Berkwickshire, our car enters an imposing driveway and stops in front of a huge mansion. Manderston was begun in the 1790s and successive generations added to it until the final version was completed in 1905. A 40-ish couple emerges from the majestic doorways, smiling Adrian Palmer, who was heir to the Huntley and Palmer biscuit fortune, inherited this estate from a great, great uncle. And in order not to pay inheritance taxes, he and his wife, Cornelia, must open their home to the public two days a week. And it was Fashion 90s idea to put up a handful of media people at this magnificent house. And we were certainly not about to complain. I mean, can you remember they had a roast chicken for us when we arrived? They, they, they served us this gorgeous lunch in the kitchen. Do you remember shooting pool with the Lord Palmer and drinking scotch in the uh, drawing room? Oh, Every now and what? again, Jeannie, we really got to live like rock stars. Oh, wow. Tell, tell me about it. This was great. And the house itself, which was so magnificent, was surrounded by 22 hectares of gardens. The grounds included a marble dairy, a wood-paneled tea house and what are reputed to be the finest stables in the world. And then after uh, Pat and I explored the grounds, we drove over to Sunlaw's house, a country hotel where the designers were all staying. We came across some of them shooting clay pigeons in a clearing in the woods. There they were, Britain's Bruce Oldfield, who used to design a lot for Princess Diana, Jasper Conrad, who was Mary Quant's godson. Uh, he was also the son of uh, Terence Conrad, the big uh, UK entrepreneur and Mark Jacobs and Michael Kors, who were so Manhattan that it was weird to see them in that context. I remember they were wondering if they dressed appropriately. Jacobs was in his trademark stretched out cotton turtleneck. <laughs> he dresses much chicer now, of course. And Kors was in his uh, standard white crew neck jersey. A butler stood by with a silver tray of glasses filled with slow gin. I mean, wow. And then Sunlaw's house was, of course, owned by the Duke of Roxborough, who was one of the wealthiest men in the region and who held a magnificent party for us on the final night, complete with fireworks and everything. But it was just absolutely, absolutely magnificent. Day three, a TV feature on Manderston itself was a muscle. We spent that morning toting our camera through the masses of rhododendrons, sculpted hedges and sparkling fountains. And then we went off to meet Vivian Westwood at a mill. And I became concerned that we hadn't shot enough sheep. Pat, shoot some sheep, I pleaded with my cameraman, who gets out of the car and heads for the nearest flock because the sheep are just dotting the hillsides all over there. And uh, the sheep scoot away from our looming lens. Rats, I scream. We'll just have to stop again. <laughs> Incredible. I mean, we just had such a time. It was so Jeannie, to see. If I may elaborate a little on the uh, fireworks display they had at midnight at the castle. It would rival Canada Day on Parliament Hill. And at the end of the evening, after the dinner and the ceremonies, they brought, what was there, maybe 200 guests? And there was a, but the size of a football field of manicured golf green and a forest. And they had this fireworks display that just knocked your socks off. And as 
the big crescendo of fireworks with the boom, 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 and the fog came down and blocked out the forest, you heard the drums and the pipes and a wall of soldiers came marching out of the mist. It still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up when I think about it. Mm -hmm. Such a phenomenal experience. Wow, and Bruce Oldfield was wearing a kilt and he got crazy drunk as we all did. <laughs> and at the end of the night, I remember the Duke of Roxborough, who's a dashing single guy who owned this castle, but living there by himself. And people were almost trying to, you know, fix me up with them, except I was married at the time, sadly. <laughs> Sorry, apologies to my old family there, but but it was like, ah. And he, he was very, very charming. And I remember telling him at the end of the night that fireworks display was orgasmic. And I made a mistake because when I, I covered this whole scenario for Chatelaine magazine, I wrote this whole big piece about it. And I included the fact that I had told the Duke of Roxborough that the fireworks display was orgasmic and I got people writing in complaining that how dare I speak to <laughs> royalty like that talking about orgasm the stress of that job for myriad reasons was phenomenal I mean and we made it look like fun we made it look like easy and every every little chick growing up watching me on that show wanted to be me because they thought it was just barrel of laughs. I mean, listen, it was magnificent. Don't get me wrong. And I absolutely adored every minute of it, but it was crazy making and it was hard. And it was like being in a battlefield. And Christopher, you of course too saw the types of battles, even at that stage, even though we had been on the air for 20 years, by the time you arrived, like, you know, I guess it got harder, maybe the job in some ways, the further on, because there was more competition when Pat and I first started, there was no backstage like maybe uh, Elsa Jeannie, Clench, there was us CNN. there was Elsa Clench in House yeah. of Style and yeah. there was uh, Japanese television and everybody yeah. else was a still photographer you know you get the interview right away and you get access to whoever you wanted whatever you wanted and then you know as things progressed uh, it it started to get really tough but in 2005 that whole era was really interesting because the celebrity really became the designer and so entertainment tonight E-talk, all of these conglomerates would come. I actually still have a scar on my leg from when you got hit in the head from trying to interview Martha Stewart. And then a cameraman, a tripod went down on my foot in a front row at a Michael Kors show. Like there was dangerous moments. There was pain. There was tripods. There was people and everyone wanted that sound bite. And celebrities just, it blew up the whole concept of what a fashion week was. You and I were at an after party. I believe it was at the old Hungarian embassy. There was a makeup artist. I forget his name, but uh, everybody from Simon Levon to all the supermodels. Oh, yeah, that was a Francois Nars makeup yes, launch. Yes. And, and Simon Levon was like making out with me. I'm, I kid you not. He was, and it was and something about he was. Was he wearing lipstick or maybe it was there was my a poster lipstick. for the event, and everybody <laughs> was applying lipstick and kissing the poster, and then autographing the poster. And you both applied the lipstick, kissed the poster and autographed it. And then and kissed it, each other. Indeed. And it was on a stairwell or something that you were and shooting. And the on. place got so crowded that nobody could move. And we realized that this, this was going to be a difficult situation. And you said, Pat, turn on your sun gun. And I said, <laughs> okay. I turned on my sun gun and you started trashing the party as to how dangerous it was and how overcrowded <laughs> it was. And I don't know how, but within seconds, these four big security guards were around us, clearing a path to get us out of there. <laughs> oh, 
no, I guess I blocked that whole part out of my memory. I'm getting kicked out of a, a, a cool party in New we York. We were ready no, to leave, not, but not we couldn't get near the door. I honestly did feel there were so many times that I, I, I felt I was taking my life in my hands, but I was so determined because I knew if I didn't get that sound bite, we didn't have a show. I mean, it would, and I never thought of myself as an aggressive person. I mean, even like in, you know, in high school, I'd skip out of all the, you know, gym classes because I didn't want to play, you know, soccer or any competitive sport. And there I was elbowing my way. And I think some of the European crews that would look at me like the real, oh, wow, that chick. They didn't realize I was from Canada. That was, but I was tough. I mean, oh, I remember when Lindsay Lohan designed that collection for Angaro one season or co-designed it. And she, you know, it was like Lindsay Lohan. Wow, the big celebrity. And I had to get to her. I had to get a soundbite from Lindsay Lohan. I almost died getting through the scrum to interview Lindsay Lohan, like shoving my microphone in her face to get a banal, insipid soundbite. Like what? But we captured all that. That's what I loved about it. And if people dissed me or dissed us or didn't want, or, you know, sorry, I don't want to do that. I'm not talking to anybody. We were still adamant about capturing that on camera and showing sometimes, you know, just the machinations of the, the insanity of the scene. The three of us many times would do a Mark Jacobs show in the 2000s. And that would be the end of New York Fashion Week. And it was funny because we'd work for like seven days, eight days. Fashion Week was so long, we'd be exhausted. But we knew on that last night, anyone and everyone walked in the door of Marc Jacobs. And we would almost turn military. Like we would stand at the door, we'd prepare the lights, we'd have a good lunch, we'd have water. And we would just spend three hours, every person, Madonna, Lady Gaga, like there'd be porn stars, there'd be models, there'd be actors. They would just be walking in and they would just talk or not talk, but it was it was going to war. It was very much strategic and focused to get those clips. Okay. so. It's kind of creepy to look back too much in fashion, although I can never get enough of the nostalgia. I mean, you want to, you know, celebrate what's happening now and then. But, you know, when you look back at the way things were, it's astounding to think it, it, it can never be that way again. With so many of the greats, especially have passed us by. Um, and now where does it go from here? I mean, do you ever, ever wonder like what, you know, what you would be doing, you know, if you, uh, if you hadn't had the, the luxury, you know, of that experience, I mean, I, I don't know, to me, it just meant so much to me in my life and colored my world and the way, um, I see life now as a result, because I had those incredible experiences, but I guess those days can not ever be repeated. Even the shooting style, Jeannie, back in the early days, we were the first ones ever to shoot shows, runway shows, handheld, when everybody was shooting it like it was a press conference. And uh, I attribute that to my predecessor, mentor, Hernan Morris, who said, okay, we're not using the tripods anymore. And it was really tough, but boy, what a creative and different look when you were down kneeling uh, next to the runway in the pit with all the still guys, 90% of the video guys were still up stuck on the riser. And pendulum swung back the other way. Now they won't let you off the riser. And there's so oh. many more crews. Uh, it's nothing to get. It's, it's almost like creating a mass hysteria 
with too many rats in a cage because you've got a riser that's too small and there's easily 60 or 70 camera guys and still photographers stuck on that riser. But and that being said, too, when you think of the, you know, when we see shows today and we can watch them from the comfort of our, you know, bedrooms, you know, just turn on your, you know, computer when the, your phone, when a show is supposed to take place and you can watch it being streamed live and everyone sitting in the front row with their cameras going, shooting it for themselves. I mean, that's that's weird. I agree. And Jeannie, I think you said something interesting earlier about how the times have changed so much. Firstly, the show and you are a hero and, and Pat are, are totally a hero the way that you created it. But these shows today are missing that atmosphere, that authenticity, the fact that you one day could have Jeff Koons on a front row, then Andre Leontali, then a supermodel. That energy in those spaces only existed for like two hours at a time. These installations of, of Isaac Mizrahi and Mark Jacobs, and all, especially in America, they were just these lightning moments of in, in, that can't even exist now because they missed the people that were so extraordinary. And the access. Uh, Jeannie, you and I, when we, the last big hurrah internationally for me would have been Chanel Cruzware at Saint-Tropez. Oh, you were on that with me. Oh, Pat. Yeah, that was incredible. The what first a great day, show that they was. brought us to the village, to the village square, and they said, no cameras, if you recall. It was just <laughs> going to be a day to climatize. And I just had this gut feeling that, be damned, I'm bringing my camera. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge beta cam, but I managed to get it on the bus, and I brought a, a microphone, and we got there. And we're standing in the village, and Jeannie's got the microphone, and Joshua Jackson and Diane Kruger... <laughs> see Jeannie and see the mic flash Joshua Jackson comes over and grabs the microphone looks at it looks right in my camera and says fashion television I used to watch this when I was 14 <laughs> growing up which, on the west coast of which, Canada right going back to the earlier instruction I guess our mission was complete yeah and then he proceeded to give us 15 minutes of gold interviewing everybody in the square that yeah. were there to play uh, patank which I guess is the French version of uh, bocce Bocce ball, we, yeah. We had to watch a short film that uh, Carl had produced. And then at the end of the film, we ambushed him at the back of the theater. And everybody else was less than happy because we were the only <laughs> theater with a camera. And he yeah. gave us another 10 minutes of gold. And oh. sometimes it's just you go with your gut. Like uh, Lennon Paul McCartney in Paris after the show. Oh, whoa. That was a Stella McCartney show that we went to uh, that was staged at the opera, the Grand Opera, the you know, Opera Garnier, which is the most magnificent building in Paris or one of. And that's where Stella often uh, had her shows. And um, we saw Paul there, but we couldn't get to him. Um, and obviously, <laughs> that was always such a treat for me to see Paul at her shows because he was my true childhood, you know, idol. And uh, but we hung around around for some reason, lurking around long after everyone had gone, just hoping. Feeling. And then somewhere in some back hallway, all of a sudden we see Paul and Linda McCartney walking towards us. And it was like, ah, oh, are you proud of your daughter? Oh yeah, proud, proud, proud. They were just so sweet. I mean, they didn't really stop to talk to us, but as we you know, walked along, I mean, you were so good on your feet, Pat, the way you would just you know, you would just run behind me, rolling, rolling, rolling in motion, you know, as as magic unfolded, capturing each and every moment of it. It was just... Totally. But I think, Jeannie, <laughs> what was your first favorite around the corner celebrity or view you ever had? Like we had Lady Gaga would turn around the corner. We'd have all these crazy moments that you would walk 
and there would be the biggest star of the moment alone in a hallway with you. Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. There were too many to remember. There were too many to recount. So many. And the people, you know, in those days, too, the celebrities that would show up at certain shows, like it was so random, you know, like Robert De Niro at, you know, an Elton John show. Like what? Share. That was a great one, sort of in a back hallway at uh, Jean-Paul Gaultier, where I, I knew Cher was at the show. We couldn't even find her because it was such a crowded mess and it was such a scene. And once everyone was in their front row seats, I mean, it was mostly verboten to be, you know, running up to them. And then I ran into her like in the back hallway of it. Wow. I think, and uh, some of the questions I would ask, I got to say, were so inane. I don't understand, I don't know why, but for some reason, I asked Cher what kind of underwear she wore. Well, it was a Gauthier show, and I think it was a, a themed show that was all about, you know, underwear is outerwear. Anyway, she gave me the brand of the panty, and I immediately went out and started uh, <laughs> myself. <laughs> and at some point, oh, the shows God. became performance art, like uh, Alexander McQueen or Galliano. Uh, it was so much fun to shoot from a, a, an artistic and a camera perspective. The appetite comes with the eating and we would just devour those shows. How did you feel when you found out in April of 2012 that fashion television was being canceled, going off the air right then and there? There wasn't an advance announcement or anything. It was just one day I got to the station and at the back door, someone broke the news to me. Oh, they just axed the show and are sending everybody home. What was your reaction? Uh, disappointment to say the least. It was such a huge part of my life. And uh, just the amount of travel alone that we were no longer gonna get to do. But you know what? All good things must come to an end. And unfortunately it did, but they can't take the memories. <laughs> And it's truly, again, the, the show was called Fashion Television. Fashion had changed so much. Television had changed so much. So much so that it, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't feeling right anymore. Like even to me, who was there, you know, like during the age of the supermodel and when, you know, some of those gals and, and the, the characters and the personalities, and, but things started to get really corporate with fashion and, and the way it would being marketed and it turned into a big business. And unless we were doing a show like the business of fashion, which is a brilliantly successful enterprise and, you know, kudos to Imran for thinking that up. Um, it lost its luster, the, that type of fashion coverage. I don't know. It was, a, it was an incredible ride. 27 years of the most stupendous, stupendous, magical world opening up to us and uh, the explorations and the discoveries and the joy that it brought me and uh, so many people really around the world. Yeah, pretty extraordinary. Patrick Pigeon and Christopher Sherman, thank you for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. Always a pleasure to catch up with the both of you. And thank you for all these years for bringing us along on these adventures. It made us all better. Thanks for listening. New episodes of podcasts will be coming at you every other Monday. You can watch Style Matters Thursday on TSC or online at the tsc.ca website. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.